When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, Featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders. All set within one square mile of the West End. Today's episode is a little bit different. As it's not about a murder. Today we delve into the deeply depraved and yet strangely sad life of one of Britain's most infamous serial killers. And two of his would-be victims who came within inches of death, and yet survived the clutches of Dennis Nielsen. Murder Mile contains graphic depictions of death, which won't be suitable for delicate puppets, as well as realistic sounds, so that no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 11 Dennis Nielsen and the Sleeping Bag of Death Today, I'm in my natural setting. A pub. Hooray! The Golden Lion at 51 Dean Street, to be precise. Barely 30 feet from Shaftesbury Avenue and 50 feet from Old Compton Street. As it's here that I always end my weekly walk of Soho's most infamous murder cases and celebrate by supping a nice cold creamy pint of Green King IPA. Ah! The Golden Lion is a quaint, cosy and often cramped little pub dating back to 1769 which is perched on the corner of Dean Street and Romilly Street. And although the top four floors of this five-storey building are covered in startlingly white plaster with wood-panelled and lead-lined windows, a design feature which harks back to its 18th century roots, even though it was actually rebuilt in the 1920s, but shh, don't tell anyone. The pub on the ground floor is less easy to spot, as it's drenched in black, with black walls, black window frames, a black door, and all under a black awning, with its moody broody exterior only illuminated by a small former gaslight and ornate gold lettering above, which proudly proclaims that this 
is the golden lion. But walk in through this dark wooden door and you'll find a sweet, petite and surprisingly friendly Soho pub, which seats 50 and stands about the same, serves traditional home-cooked British staples like pie and chips, fish and chips, steak and chips, and if you ask nicely, just chips, and has a fully stocked bar serving a fabulous selection of beers, ales, wines, spirits, and to those who've been on my walk, yes, they serve mulled wine. And with it being Christmas, the decorations are up, the lights are twinkling, the carols are playing, and all the staff are in a jolly festive mood. It's a warm, welcoming, and friendly place to be. And yet, back in the late 1970s, one regular frequenter of the Golden Lion Public House was so friendly to any waif and stray who happened to be passing that years later, the press would nickname him the Kindly Killer. Often dubbed the Dirty Square Mile, Soho of the 1970s wasn't the gay safe haven that it is today, where proud members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender community can happily walk hand in hand during daylight hours. As back then, the dark-lit streets of the West End were awash with porn parlours, jizz joints, mucky bookshops and sweaty backstreet brothels, stained with an eye-watering stench of sick piss and semen. And yet sadly, after the liberated sexual openness of the 1930s, homosexuality had once again been forced underground. Meaning that, for those in the know, there were only a handful of gay bars in the West End, including the Salisbury, the Marquess of Granbury, Madame Jojo's, the Admiral Duncan, and of course, the Golden Lion, where our story begins. The morning of Monday the 23rd of November, 1981, was cold, fresh and crisp, as the typical British winter set in with the last of the autumnal leaves being illuminated by a low-glaring sun as they blew across the lightly frosted streets of Soho. It was lunchtime, and although Paul Nobbs, a 19-year-old student from the nearby University of London, had already skipped a morning lecture in his three-year degree course in Slavonic and Eastern European studies, being cold, fed up, and nursing a slowly all-consuming headache, he decided to delay his shopping trip at Foyle's bookshop on Charing Cross Road and instead needed a quick pint to pacify his horrible hangover, which lurked within. As a gay man, who'd happily drink in any bar, but preferred the safety, warmth and camp camaraderie of a gay-friendly pub, he tottered round the corner to the nearest boozer, which was the Golden Lion. But then again, you wouldn't really know it was a gay pub, as the clientele's secret sexuality obviously wasn't plastered on the walls. Instead, it was gay with a nod and a wink. The kind of place where a heterosexual brickie could pop in for a pint, banter about sport with some burly blokes, ogle a topless model on page three of trashy tabloid The Sun, and all without knowing they were gay. 
And although the bar was grimy, dingy, and a bit rough, it was fun, local, and best of all, the beer was cheap. So as he entered the bar, being a slim teen with a slight frame, dark black hair, and a broody yet handsome look, it wasn't long before 19-year-old Paul Nobbs was being chatted up and brought a drink by a man whose name was Dennis Nielsen. Known locally as Des, although Dennis Nielsen was a regular at the Golden Lion, who could often be found perched at a table with a pint of beer, a rum and coke chaser, and casually smoking a Marlboro, Dennis was unlike the usual unemployed rabble who knocked back the booze and drank themselves into an early grave on a Monday lunchtime. Dennis was different. Being a little over six foot tall, he should have cut quite an imposing figure. But being slim yet strong, respectable and bespectacled, with short black hair, soft blue eyes, clean-shaven with a sweet smile and a lovely warm Aberdeen brogue to his voice. Dennis was friendly, eloquent, polite, educated, approachable and totally unthreatening. As a single gay man, neatly dressed in iron trousers and a well-pressed shirt, Dennis worked as a widely respected unionist and civil servant in the local Denmark Street job centre. And although he was almost double Paul's age, they instantly hit it off as they sat, drank, laughed and enjoyed each other's company as Dennis regaled Paul with a wealth of fascinating anecdotes about his army service, his brief stint as a policeman, his love of poetry, his fondness for animals and his penchant for playing the piano as well as being an excellent cook, having trained as an army chef. Yes, it's fair to say that anyone who met Dennis Nilsson liked him. In fact, the only reason that Dennis was drinking in the Golden Lion on a Monday lunchtime was that he'd taken the day off to celebrate his 36th birthday. And so, having found a new friend, with a fondness for literature, an intelligent bent, and a love for self-betterment, they headed off to Foils to shop for books. And with the cold winter night having drawn in, both men being a little bit peckish, and needing something to soak up the booze, Dennis invited Paul back to his flat for a drink, some dinner, some sex, and maybe Dennis hoped, a new boyfriend. Born in the remote coastal town of Fraserburgh, in the northeast of Scotland, on the 23rd of November 1945, Dennis Andrew Nielsen was the second of three children, spawned by Elizabeth White, a native of Fraserburgh, and Olaf Magnusson Mokshin, a soldier in the Norwegian Free Army, who served in Scotland during World War II and adopted the surname Nielsen to blend in. But the early life of young Dennis was littered with loneliness, as with his father abandoning the family when Dennis was just three, his overwrought and overworked mother quickly remarried, 
burdening her shy and quiet son with four half-siblings and a very strict stepfather in what was already an unaffectionate family. Feeling isolated on the barren shores of Scotland, having very few friends except for the wildlife, and drenched with a sense that he was different, young Dennis spent much of his time pining for his beloved grandfather, a sea fisherman who would often be gone for days at a time. Later referring to him as a great hero, and the only man I ever loved. Little Dennis always felt a great emptiness in his life, and would wait on the shore for his grandfather to return. And then one day, when Dennis was just five, his hero didn't return. His grandfather's heart had failed, and as the life drained from the old man's body, the love drained from Dennis's life, and once again, he was abandoned. As a slightly tipsy Paul Nobbs and the boozy birthday boy Dennis Nielsen exited Highgate Tube Station, they staggered the 15-minute walk up Muswell Hill Road, stopping off at Sainsbury's to pick up some pork chops, Bacardi rum and a large bottle of Coca-Cola. And at 5.45pm, they entered the leafy North London street of Cranley Gardens, a rather respectable residential neighbourhood in a middle-class part of town, full of three-storey, semi-detached houses, and all with tidy little front gardens. 23 Cranley Gardens was no different. It was neat, sweet and homely. And being built in an old English style, with white plastered walls and old oak beams, it had recently been converted into three small flats for working professionals. And as they stumbled up the three flights of stairs to the top floor, drunkenly trying to be quiet and failing miserably, Dennis popped his key in the front door of flat 23C. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In contrast to the street, the house, and even Dennis himself, the converted attic flat was dirty, dingy, and squalid. With a small hallway serving as a makeshift kitchen, complete with a grease-covered oven. Ahead was a small dirty bathroom with a tide-mark-lined bath, a scum-covered sink, and a poo-speckled loo with an unused lounge to the right, and beyond was his bedroom. And although it was almost winter, one window had been left open, giving the flat a distinctly chilly feel, and yet a strange smell lurked. In fact, the only warmth in Dennis's bedroom was from the two-bar electric fire and the overexcited wagging and panting of Nielsen's six-year-old mongrel Collie Cross, Bleep. Not that Paul Nobbs knew, but this was the flat of one of Britain's most notorious serial killers. And although it was messy and unkempt, there were no bodies buried under the floorboards, no limbs wrapped in bin bags, no flesh flushed down the toilet, and no decapitated heads slowly boiling in an oversized pot. But then again, Dennis Nielsen had only moved in barely seven weeks before. And he hoped that this time, starting again in a new flat, that it were Kirby's impulse to kill. But that night, to be honest, was pretty uneventful. Paul and Dennis sat in two armchairs, eating pork chops, watching the news, and getting sloshed on rum, until they both stumbled into Dennis's floral pattern bed and drunkenly fumbled with each other's boy bits. But realising that neither man could muster a much-needed boner, they gave up and fell into a soporific slumber. With Bleep the dog asleep at their feet, Dennis wrapped in a thin duvet, and Paul snuggled up, in a bright blue sleeping bag. Since the death of his beloved grandfather, all Dennis ever wanted was to be loved. But for as long as he had known, he had always been rejected by his father, his mother, his siblings and their friends. Struggling with his burgeoning teenage sexuality in the rural isolation of the Scottish lowlands in the 1950s, hiding his homosexual lusts as he served in the armed forces in the 1960s, masking his illegal sexual status whilst training as a policeman in the 1970s. Until finally, Dennis Nielsen retrained as a civil servant and moved to the Denmark Street Job Centre, where finally he could be himself. Barely one street away from the blossoming gay scene of Soho, 
Unlike many serial killers, Dennis Nielsen was different. He wasn't an arsonist, a bedwetter, a drug abuser, a defecator, a mummy's boy, or a peeping Tom. And neither was he cruel to animals. And as much as some trashy tabloids may print this twaddle, it's simply not true. One morning, as Dennis walked up Denmark Street, passing the burnt-out remnants of the Denmark Place fire, the charred aftermath he'd witnessed just 50 feet from his office, he spotted an injured sparrow on the pavement, which most pedestrians would have passed thinking, well, that's not my problem. But Dennis didn't. Dennis couldn't. Loving animals, and ironically, being a big believer in the right to life, he scooped up the injured bird, took it into his office, made a makeshift nest for it in his drawer, using shredded paper and cotton wool, and then over the next few days, to build up its strength, he hand-fed it, using morsels of mashed-up fish, having first masticated it in his own mouth. By 1981, Dennis had worked at the Denmark Street Job Centre for seven years, having been promoted to the senior position of acting executive officer and the branch's union rep. And although he was often serious, slightly short-tempered, and a little lacking in humour, especially when it came to workers' rights, it was always said that if you had a problem, you'd want Dennis on your side. And even though he wasn't a natural people-pleaser, he'd often spoil his co-workers by bringing in a big pot of homemade Jamaican curry and at Christmas, a very heady batch of mulled wine. But being plagued with loneliness and an all-encompassing fear of rejection, as he entered his mid-thirties as a singleton, the sexual predilections of Dennis Nielsen had shifted from being a mildly curious gay man to being obsessed with sex, death, and sometimes both. Dennis knew that he was definitely a gay man in his late teens, as while stationed in Berlin, he had sex with a female prostitute, but would later proclaim that sexual intercourse with a woman was overrated and depressing. But being a private in the British Army, with a lust for slim, passive and vulnerable young men, he had to keep his sexuality hidden, so often spent many nights alone, masturbating. But not in a normal way. Two other childhood incidents, after the tragic death of his beloved grandfather, had shaped his life. The first, as young Dennis was rescued from a near-fatal drowning by a boy whose warm lips and gentle caress had brought him back from the brink of death. And the second, whilst sharing a bed with his older brother Olav Jr., a curious Dennis started fondling the sleeping boy's genitals. As he lay there, a silent, passive and still, as a freshly murdered corpse. So whilst in the army, as Dennis pretended to be a bit of a bloke, 
obsessed with beer and boobs, amongst his hardcore gaggle of squaddies. Secretly, Dennis would lie alone, in his quarters, naked on the bed, his skin slathered in an ominously lurid green makeup, his eyes hollowed by dark eyeliner, his lips blue with a disturbing shade of lipstick, and slowly, looking as dead as he could possibly be, he would masturbate in front of the mirror. And although you could say he was sexually depraved, deeply disturbed, and a man with some serious issues, Dennis Nielsen, the promising civil servant, went about his everyday life, meeting gay men in local pubs, chatting, drinking, and ushering them back to his flat for dinner, a drink, some sex, and a sleep. Many of whom would never wake up. And yet, by the mid-1970s, when he moved to London, Dennis Nielsen hadn't killed anyone. Ever. But all that would change the day he met Twinkle. In November 1975, just a few days shy of his 30th birthday, Dennis Nielsen stopped off at the Champion Public House in Bayswater for a much-needed rum and coke. Outside, he saw two drunkards roughing up a slim 20-year-old man, with blonde hair, stud earrings, rouge cheeks, a hint of lipstick, and intervened using his sternest look, his gruffest voice, and his full six-foot-one inches of height. A few moments later, Nielsen was getting cosy in the corner snug at the champion with the man he had saved. His name was David Galichan, and he was just Nielsen's type. He was slim, slight, gay, fey, young, fragile, pretty, and vulnerable. Nielsen would later nickname him Twinkle. Within two days, they'd moved in together to a rented ground floor flat at 195 Melrose Avenue in Crickerwood, North London. And although it was crummy, scummy, and a depressingly unfurnished flat, in a cunning piece of foresight, Nielsen negotiated exclusive use of the large back garden. And whether he knew it or not, later on, that garden would come in very handy indeed. Having stripped, decorated, and even adopted a stray cat called Dee Dee, and a mongrel puppy called Bleep, the two men settled down like an old married couple, living in domestic bliss, with Nielsen heading off to work to bring home the bacon, and Twinkle staying at home to do the cooking and the cleaning. But sadly, it was not to be. As Nielsen slipped into the easy comfort of coupling, by staying in, snuggling down, and generally being a bit of a homebody, Twinkle's wayward ways of drinking, flirting, and sleeping around were only exacerbated by Nielsen's middle-aged traits, as well as his jealousy, possessiveness, and outbursts of anger. 
In May 1977, Twinkle walked out on Nielsen forever. Feeling bitter, angry and rejected. Having been abandoned once again by someone he truly thought had loved him. Nielsen began to drink to the point where he'd black out. Hoping to erase his sadness with booze, his anger with sex and his loneliness by prowling the gay bars of London to find a slim pretty boy to take Twinkle's place. But after a further 18 months of failed relationships and affectionless rejection, Nielsen had reached rock bottom. By December 1978, Nielsen was alone, angry, drunk, and celebrating New Year's Eve by himself in the Cricklewood Arms. But as he sunk back another pint, still seething over how Twinkle had dumped him, Dennis saw a vision of beauty. A slim, slight, gay, fey, 16-year-old boy with smooth, flawless skin, curly brown hair and soft brown eyes. And being both homeless and penniless, the boy was fragile, pretty and vulnerable. And just like Twinkle, he was Nielsen's type. His name was Stephen Holmes. And although Dennis was more than double Stephen's age, they sat, drank and laughed, as Dennis drunkenly regaled Stephen with another anecdote about his army service, police stint, love of poetry, piano playing and his fondness for animals, as well as being an excellent chef. And so, being young, drunk, cold and hungry. On this bitter winter evening, 16-year-old Stephen Holmes headed back to Nielsen's flat at 195 Melrose Avenue for more drink, a hot meal, a failed attempt at sex and his first sleep in a long while in a nice warm bed wrapped up in a bright blue sleeping bag. During the night, Nielsen awoke. But for once, he wasn't alone. As beside him, fast asleep, Stephen was sleeping. His pretty face reflected in the moonlight. His brown hair forming tight baby curls over his eyes. And as he lay there, silent, passive, and as still as a freshly murdered corpse... Nielsen couldn't resist it and began to caress the soft skin of the boy's arms, legs and genitals. But with alcohol still coursing through his veins, his judgment clouded by paranoia and his bitterness towards his father, his mother, his siblings, his friends and everyone who had ever abandoned him or rejected him raging after a slew of pretty young things had used and abused him, Nielsen knew that this new boy would do the same. Nielsen would later state, I just wanted him to stay with me for New Year's Day, maybe even longer. On the floor, on top of his crumpled heap of clothes, 
Nielsen spotted his necktie. A garishly coloured length of tightly woven cotton. Stealthfully he reached down. Try not to wake the snoring youth. Slowly he slid the tie under the sleeping boy's soft thin neck. And tying it in a knot at the back, he pulled. Survival instincts kicked in as Stephen awoke with a start to see Nielsen on top of him. All sixteen stone of the man bearing down, his wild eyes glaring at him, the rage of rejection in his face. And in each clenched fist, he held the taut end of the necktie. As Stephen's throat was throttled, his air stopped, his tongue swelled, and his panic-raddled face was all purple. As the blood vessels in his bulging eyes ruptured, until slowly, with legs and fists flailing, the desperate boy's struggle ceased. As Bleep watched from the hall, her ears down, her head bowed, and her tail tucked. But as she crept forwards and started to sniff the corpse's legs, Dennis angrily ushered her away, banishing her to the other room, having not sensed that certain something strange that only she could. Stephen Holmes wasn't dead. His breathing was slight, his legs were still twitching, and as a soft moan uttered from his blue lips, it was clear that he was still alive and barely clinging onto a slim thread of life. Bending the limp body of the seemingly lifeless boy over an armchair, Nielsen hastily filled a plastic bucket full of cold water, held back the boy's frail little arms, and sunk his still-breathing head deep into the bucket, the excess of water splashing over the sides. As the struggling youth panicked, his last gasps of breath being liquid, his last sight being the base of the bucket, and his last words being muffled, until a few minutes later, the bubbles from his mouth had stopped. Shaking and trembling, Dennis sat on the sofa, the wet corpse of the sixteen-year-old boy propped up beside him, as he drank a hot cup of coffee and smoked a cigarette to calm his nerves as his mind raced, knowing indeed that it was the beginning of the end of my life as I had known it. I had started down the avenue of death and the possession of a new kind of flatmate. Three years later, Dennis Nielsen had brutally murdered twelve young men and had attempted to kill numerous others. On the 23rd of November 1981, the evening of his 36th birthday, Dennis had picked up the latest in a long line of young, slim and pretty boys in the Golden Lion pub. He had taken this young man home, brought him a drink, cooked him a meal, and now, as they lay in bed together, the boy's slender sleeping frame next to Dennis's, wrapped in a bright blue sleeping bag, he hoped the boy would love him, 
He hoped the boy wouldn't reject him, and he hoped the boy would stay forever. His name was Paul Nobbs. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. The second part of Dennis Nielsen and the Sleeping Bag of Death continues next week. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed writing and researching it. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Next week's episode is part two of Dennis Nielsen and the Sleeping Bag of Death. Thank you for listening and sleep well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.